he was some in some sort of hell or whatever, and he had these headphones on, and they were playing a Grateful Dead song in his head. Huh. He's got to be listening to this for four hours, and you're only on the first verse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> So hey everybody, welcome to episode 215 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. We also have Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We have some fact checks from last week's show. We have uh, from Sean Marston. I think Mark had said at one point in the show, I don't remember when exactly, but that uh, the smallest iPhone uh, was actually 3.75 inches, but it's actually three and a half, as Sean Marston points out on his tweet to us. And he references the same ultimate iPhone guide. I think the same one we talk about on the show. Let's have a look. Yes, on the paint code site, the ultimate guide to iPhone re- iPhone resolutions, mm-hmm. which includes the new Tennis and Tennis Max. All right. Who can remember that far back? Well, it's like, a, like you know, there's the gift from um, Modern Family that I always paste in for Greg, which is like the, the mother says, never look back, never. So, <laughs> just keep driving. All right. And around 56 minutes into the show, um, I mentioned a uh, uh, software engineer from, uh, it turns out he actually is from Microsoft. He's a software engineer and tech lead. His name is uh, Shakib Shaik, and he is a he works on the Seeing AI app, and he's the, the gentleman that's uh, completely blind, visually Impaired. And there's an article here from uh, LinkedIn from uh, one of our colleagues at work uh, posted this. Uh, actually, it's an article on TD's website um, from our blog about an interview with him about his work with artificial intelligence at Microsoft. So if you're interested in uh, in that particular subject, I suggest you have a look at this article. I don't know if you guys have a chance to scan it at all, but uh, there you go. What was the fact check part? Um, well, I just men- I mentioned that it was an engineer uh, from working with the Microsoft stuff, but I wasn't sure. I didn't catch his name at the time, so uh, I've since got it, and it is, as I said before... Um, this is more follow-up than fact-check. Well, it's fact-check. I mean, I, I usually, if I if I make a mistake or something in the show, we that's what fact-check's for. So, yeah, it is it is follow-up, and it's it's more it's further information for the folks out there in TV land listening to us, driving at home, and all that kind of stuff. All right, so we have some uh, Ask MTJC. Do you want to do those, Jaime? Yeah, the first one we have here is from uh, Greg Heo, who says, uh, this is a great video, including how interest rates and central banks work from economicprinciples.org. Right. Most apologies yeah, if right. I not had a chance to take a look at that, but uh, I think it's probably yeah, I did watch. Uh, I did watch a bit of it. It's about half an hour long, so I, I watched like maybe 15 minutes or so. It's it's interesting because it talks about, you know, trends and uh, it talks about a mark, what a market is and, you know, what different services are. And, and it kind of goes through all the sort of definitions you, you hear on the, you know, the news reports on the business, you know, reports that you have no idea what they're talking about. So, yeah, it's basically economic, economic principles, you know, what, what makes an economy economy, you know, and, and how inflation works and what deflation is and what's a recession and um, that kind of stuff. So, and and what creates a recession? And because I think Mark had mentioned last week about the central bank raising interest rates and, and I asked about that. So more follow up from Greg. Cool. What else you got? We have a uh, multi-generational um, tweet here to us. Um, this is in reference to, uh, I don't even remember why we were talking about your son, Jonathan Kuhlein's. We were talking uh, about his cave. collection of comic books and 
and graphic novels and toys and posters and stuff and I in his little man cave. Right. And I we, said it wasn't we, big we, enough to swing a cat. I, I definitely remember having the conversation. I don't remember how we ended up there, but nevertheless, this is from uh, his son, so uh, your grandson, Xavier Kuline, saying that uh, regarding the swinging of the cat in the man cave, it has happened. We have also pretended the cat was a machine gun once. Also, my debit card was failing to add to Apple Pay, so maybe this is a recurring problem. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, I guess could I be guess asking I mean, what bank he's with. Yeah. Right before the show, we were talking about um, some Mojave problems that you were encountering. So it is uh, it is the season for upgrades and and related problems, and hopefully the patches will come out relatively soon for these things. Yeah, actually, that was uh, regarding my watch for season series four season four my series four watch um, that you know I've, I'm unable to get some things working properly. By the way. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed, but I wear my watch backwards because for when I had the first watch, if you press the, the, the digital crown and the, the button on the side at the same time, you took a screenshot, right? And when originally they shipped, um, that was turned on. By the, they since uh, Apple since turned that off. Now you have to go in specifically into the settings and turn that back on. And so I have a whole slew of like, probably like 30 or 40 pictures from the first you know three or four months that I had the watch, which are just screenshots from me just bending my wrist to pick up stuff or you know grab a bag or open a door or whatever, and I would get these goofy screenshots of my, of my watch. Um, so I thought when I got the new watch, I will, okay, I'll get to finally get to wear it the right way around with the digital crown at the top right, and, you know, and away we go, right? But now, if you hold the digital crown in, Siri wakes up and says, and starts listening to you and responds to whatever you're saying, because it's a way of calling Siri, Siri, just like on the phone, you press the home button, or the side button, right, to, to I don't know, what do you, what do you incantation Siri, right? Um, it reminds me of the TV show Bewitched. You ever watch Bewitched, Jaime? Yeah, and there were multiple... Was the main guy Dan or Dave? Or? Darren. Darren, yeah. Darren, Darren, Darren Stevens, Stevens, yes, and, and, and Samantha. And But when it, they would just, you know, call into the sky, you know, uncle, whatever, and, and Paul Lynn would show up or, or her mother would show up, right? Anyway, but so now, when I had my watch turn around with the digital crown facing my wrist, every time I bent my wrist to pick up, like, something or drywall or whatever I was doing, Siri would wake up. So now I'm back to having to wear my watch backwards with the digital crown facing my forearm, right? So wah, wah. at least it's flexible <laughs> enough to do that. I mean, we I think we joked early on that uh, the Apple Watch being designed by Apple in California was not very Canadian friendly, given that probably wear heavier jackets more often during the year. And I've, I've never encountered that problem. Like I've maybe done one screenshot on accident and that was when I was really lifting something up. So I had my wrist uh, popped backwards, you know, splayed backwards. And I don't think I ever actually have accidentally triggered twi- uh, Siri. Well, I think it depends on, I think it depends on the shape of your, it's kind of like the ears where some people just can't wear the earbuds, you know, but I think it's based, like I was looking at, I was showing my friend Darren at work that, you know, when I, when I flex my wrist, you can see that, you know, actually the, the meat of my, my hand kind of wrinkles up and pushes against the buttons. And yet when he does the same thing on his wrist, there's, it's nowhere near the watch, right? So I think it's just a sort of a people body shape kind of thing, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, but actually I, the, the biggest complaint about the, the watch, and I don't know, doesn't get much press because they got some press from, from Jonathan Kuhlein, of course, he's left-handed, right? And that the watch is actually designed for a right-handed person, you know, with the, where the digital crown is. If you, if you think about where the digital crown is at the top right-hand side and the button below it, um, it's more, it's more geared towards a right-handed person than it is to a left-handed person. Right. So a lefty would have to wear it on their right-hand side and as a consequence are going to have to have that crown like I'm doing, yeah. on the bottom side. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, cause I have to like now I like, you know, when, when I put, I don't know about you, but, but you can probably use your index finger to roll your digital crown. I have to use my thumb, right. As I cross my, we'll have to post pictures on 
um, website to show what we're talking about. But yeah. Yeah, I, I do use my index finger, but there are definitely uh, a contingent of folks on Twitter who seem to prefer using their thumb on the digital crown. And so yeah. they actually do flip their watch around for right. that reason, even though it's not the same reason that, that you switch yours around. But I remember having this conversation with Jonathan, and I think I have him flipping a picture of him flipping two birds to Apple that I took. Um, but the, the, you know, from the time before the watch shipped, we were talking, we were out to dinner talking about the watch. And he said, this is one complaint. Is it just like, just like scissors, just like everything else? And, you know, the whole world is designed for right-handed people. So I'm sure Apple thought about it. And again, that's probably why they made it. So you could flip it around and turn the orientation of the screen and stuff, right? Yeah. Maybe in some future date, we'll be able to swap these components around somehow. Yeah. Maybe like a little yeah. magnet thing hanging on. Yeah. And I guess the final closing comment on the swing of cats in, in the man cave over at the Kulain household is uh, they've gone through two cats already. They're on their third one. So what does that tell you? That's a rough man cave with uh, <laughs> lots of pointy parts, apparently, is what I'm reading into there. <laughs> yep. All right. Let's move on to the follow-up stuff. What do you got there, Jaime? This is something from App Store Connect, so from Apple itself, saying that we can now invite test flight testers with a public link instead of having to do sort of the uh, collect their email address and add them to this group and so on and so forth. So I apologize. Right. I've not actually had a chance to try this out myself, but I have zero doubts that this is anything other than flawless. It should work relatively similar to the way ye olden days test flight used to work, where you could just sort of send a link and tell them, add yourself here sort of thing. So hopefully it's right. just as seamless as that. Yeah, I was going to say just like back in, back in the way it was like four years ago. But um, I, 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 barely rem- I barely remember that. But I, but like, again, it's, it's one of the things like when you want to send a client this link, it's all well and good. But do they have to create an account or they have to make an Apple ID to use it? Like, how does it kind of work? Like, they obviously have to register as a user who's going to use this thing, right? I haven't tried it out, but the reference we have here says you won't, so you, the developer, won't need to manage an email list and testers can remain anonymous. So I don't know. Oh, really? I, I, huh. I don't know how exactly it'll work, but presumably they have some sort of Apple ID set up for, like, iTunes or the App Store itself. Yeah, I mean, if, if they have the TestFlight app, they must have an Apple ID. Oh, that's true. That's true. Right. Right. Yeah, they have to have, to have, have a phone, obviously. Yeah. But back in the, remember back in the hot, what was it? What was the other one called? Um, hockey app. Hockey app. Yeah. Back in those days, like you, you have to send a link to somebody and then they would have to go in and create an account and you could see them in the list of people you could choose to, like you could right. create groups to send builds to, right? So, you know, so you'd send them to your, your in-house team and you'd send a different link, different build to like your, your client, for instance, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is so. definitely better than the old days because you don't have to go through the whole provisioning profile business anymore right yeah yeah yeah. it's true because it's all it's all signed by apple just like it does on the app store right yep cool yeah and apparently you can set a limit for the number of testers that can join a group through your public link Uh, okay disable link at any time uh having not tried this out myself i don't know if you can create multiple ones like um like oh first thousand people use this link and then shut it off try things out and then create a separate link and say all right well Mm -hmm. version two let's see if this one's any better you know just sort of segregate users in some way or if it's just enabling and disabling the same public link. That's one thing I'm a little unclear on. Well, I actually have a build to do for Device Tracker, so I'll, I'll maybe I'll give it a shot. That's what the ultimate reason why I built Device Tracker was just to test out this kind of stuff, right? So <laughs> at the end of the day. All right. Well, we'll, we'll have some follow-up, I guess, in the coming weeks on that. All righty. So the next link is from me, 
Um, this is an article from middle of last week, I guess, uh, talking about the, uh, the it was, I guess, follow-up on what we were talking about, the tennis eSIM. And I think it w- this was in the keynote, I think, that uh, only a certain number of uh, um, countries will carry. I don't think they mentioned all... Did they have, like, a graphic of the countries? I can't remember. But I remember specifically seeing that only Bell is, is using the eSIM in Canada. So we have Australia with T-Mobile, Croatia with, I'm not going to pronounce it, something H, Telecom, Czech Republic with T-Mobile. Ooh, T-Mobile, interesting. Uh, Germany has got Telecom and uh, Vodafone. Hungary with Mag- Magyar Telecom. India's got Airtel and Reliance Geo, a name I've heard before from friends of mine. Uh, Spain with Vodafone Spain and U- UK with EE. So that sounds like they only got one or two partners in the UK that, that are um, doing that. And of course with you guys, AT&T, T-Mobile and Verizon. Are there other carriers down in the States selling iPhones and supporting them? Yeah, I think Sprint. Right, yeah. yeah. Oh, it says the source is Apple too. And a um, little bit of a correction because I know that we have fans throughout the Commonwealth. Uh, that would be Austria, not Australia. Oh, it's Austria. Sorry. Reading is fundamental. So no Australia. Weird. Yeah. Didn't they, they got things late. Didn't they, didn't they, didn't they get the iPhone late in Australia? If you remember correctly, do you remember? I don't recall, but they do get things weirdly late considering that they're an English speaking country. So if you cover the United States and the UK, it seems like Canada, New Zealand, South Africa, and Australia would be rather, rather natural ones to, to bring things to, but it's probably all related to licensing rights and other thingies that they have to do. Sure. I have some friends in Australia, and I think we have a few listeners down there. So it'd be interesting to hear from them because I, I vaguely remember that they pay huge premiums on on Apple gear down in, in Australia, which is which is odd because it's made in China. You know? Yeah, yeah, it'd be so much closer, right? And yeah, but it should probably ships to the states and then over to them or something. And the other thing like I, I notice here is that uh, T-Mobile is rather well represented here, including, if I'm not mistaken, I think T-Mobile is owned by Deutsche Telekom, a German company. So oh, I think is it? Telecom okay, yeah. listed here, and I would bet dollars to donuts that the one in Croatia, the Hrvatsky Telecom, is probably related in some way, because I think Deutsche well, Telecom maybe. is a rather large conglomerate. Oh, so the German, you think German Telecom one is the same as T-Mobile? I think they yeah, own T-Mobile. Yeah, that's, that's the U.S. Oh. Well, maybe not just U.S., but it's uh, certainly a, a U.S., uh, uh, what's the word, uh, subsidiary. Oh, yeah, and last bit of follow-up, it was, was uh, this is from, um, what the hell? I didn't really t- read the title. Can you, you guys click on that link? there for see what the is this is one about the Super Bowl ads in Canada? Yeah. Yes. I just read the headline. So a, uh, <laughs> I had posted this to our own uh, Slack channel about like, hey, yeah. this is a, a really weird um, benefit to the, mm-hmm. the recent NAFTA replacement, the USMCA trade agreement between the United States, Mexico, and Canada. And that would be that the Canadian Radio, Television, and Telecommunications Communica- Commission, CRTC, has said that uh, yeah. Canadian broadcaster of the Super Bowl uh, will now be able to display America. American ads rather than forcing uh, Canadian ads to be shown during the Super Bowl. Yeah, which is half the reason why people watch the Super Bowl. Like I, I've always said, like, you know, I have to wait till Monday like an animal to go on YouTube and watch the commercials you guys all get to see, you know, live during the broadcast, right? Well, the secret is now that you watch them like the week before the Super Bowl on YouTube oh, anyways. Well. And then, yes. you know, you can see the real broadcast during the the, the, the big show. And the, the big game certainly has a, an appeal for people who uh, don't jump out there and watch, you know, oh, let's go see, the, you know, what's the Avengers trailer going to be and all these other sort of like fandom related things. 
Um, so people don't wait, or advertisers don't wait until the actual broadcast. They they leak them out a week before. Yeah, I think I think the market has changed a little bit, and that it's sort of segmented into you know the people who are really into like the YouTube generation type stuff. They want to see it early, and they can be chatting about it the whole week leading up to the Super Bowl. So you're, oh, you're getting all okay, this extra right. buzz, and then you know you're going to touch eyeballs, you know, at Super Bowl parties and other things, and people who are just not into internet culture, right? Just normal people on the street They're like oh wow look at this this thing and then they can participate and talk about it so it's it's just mm-hmm. i mean youtube is out there for free for these advertisers so if you're going to spend what is it like two to four million dollars just to buy the 30 second spot you might as well get as much money out of it as you can i guess yeah well then spinning it up on social media is a good way to, to build buzz too right yeah, makes and, sense. And, and this ruling here by the CRTC was something that the NFL definitely wanted because they wanted to have more um, more reach, more eyeballs for, yeah. for the ads that they're selling through the Super Bowl. But that said, I mean, like Canada's population, I think, is smaller than California, right? No, is it? It's like ten percent more viewers, I guess. I mean, nobody's going to sniff it. Like, oh, look, there's thirty million more people we can show this ad to. Oh, okay, yeah, that's true. That's true. And I'm that's sure true. it all goes into ad rates. So maybe next year or this year coming up for the Super Bowl, maybe it'll be. Uh, 4.2 million for 30 seconds or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Cool. You've got one more here, I think. This is your post here about the adoption rate. I just added that, actually. Oh, okay. So it, this is kind of an interesting article showing some data from uh, Statista. I'm not sure. Oh, it's not mixed it, panel? But, uh, it's not, this is not mixed panel. But it's showing iOS 12 adoption rates as a function of time compared to previous uh, versions of iOS over the first 10 days. And iOS 12 is surprisingly low. Uh, there's It's it's showing 20.7% adoption for iOS 12 compared to 286 for iOS 11. Uh, 36.1 for iOS 10, all the way up to 63% for iOS 7. So it's kind of an interesting trend uh, with with the exception of iOS 8 and iOS 9. It's a continuous downward trend in in percentage of, of adoptions. So iOS 7 by far has ha- had the highest adoption at this point in time. Uh, and as I said, except for I- iOS 8 and iOS 9, because iOS 9 was is maxed at 48%, iOS 8, 37.5%. Uh, but except for those being switched, it's continuously downwards going to 36.1 for iOS 10, 28.6 for iOS 11, and now 20.7 for iOS 12. But do you think that's also a function of the number of devices that are out there and and where they are in the market? You know, I don't know if you remember, we talked about Simon Sinek's talk at one point about... uh, you know, it's easy to get the first 10 to 13% of the market to adopt your product because they're going to do it anyway. But then you get to the point, the, the sort of middle of the bell curve is kind of where we are now. And it seems like everybody has an iPhone almost, you know, kind of thing. Like, But this is percentage of existing users, right? Yeah, but I'm, what I'm saying, though, like like if, if the number of users has exponentially or I don't know, log, I don't know which one's steeper, logarithmic or, logarithmic or exponentially grown. Um, exponential is way steeper than logarithmic. Yeah, uh, yeah, exponential is what I was looking for. But if if that if the number of devices are out there, but you know the the majority of people aren't the kind of people that will go and jump into the newest OS, right? Um, I wonder if that's that sort of skews well, the numbers it, down it, a it's bit. It's possible. It might also have to do with availability of devices too. So it, right. there may be people waiting for the XR to come out uh, because they're going to buy the XR, and so they're right. not bothering to upgrade. So it, it's probably true that a lot of the the new users. To 
to any given version of iOS come from people who just bought a brand new phone. That's right, right. That's yeah. probably true. Uh, but it's it's the trend though that's that's interesting and and somewhat disturbing is that except for one exception, every year since 2013, the percentage has been going down. And I'm right, not, right. not sure what to make of that other than iOS 7 was a pretty radical change because it had the whole UI change. So a lot of yeah. people were interested in that. Um, and, and it does seem, and we've talked about this many times before, it does seem that each version of iOS these days is getting kind of less and less interesting, right? The, in terms of what features mm-hmm. are coming out. I mean, it's partly it's just, it's, it's a mature platform. So there's not a whole lot of new fancy features that can come out. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, I, I wonder if it's, I wonder if it's, if it's just that, or, or I wonder if it is just about the availability of the phones or, I mean, in iOS 12, there's, there's, there's really not many, you know, super compelling must have new features that's causing everyone to go out. Other than Memoji. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, but you know, we've had, <laughs> we've had emojis, new emojis or variants for every year for the past few years, right? It's, is it that exciting anymore? I don't know. No, no. Yeah. I do think this trend is pretty interesting. I, I do agree with your assessment, Mark, that everybody and their brother wanted the fancy new iOS 7 UI. And I would say we should check back around this time next year if, as rumored, that the UI refresh was delayed from this year to next year because they wanted to focus on performance and stability with iOS 12. Mm-hmm. Um, that would sort of make sense because when I do look at this chart, it's like, all right, iOS 7 is the one that did the best. And then iOS 8 and 9 kind of swapped places. And that's probably because 8 had the horrible, like, 5 gigs free sort of space that you needed. So very few people were able to install it on their 16 gig device. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, there's so also that disastrous upgrade, too, that they had with the iPhone 8. Remember? Or iOS. Was it? Oh, maybe it's iOS 8 I'm thinking of. Uh, are you talking about the one where the new phones couldn't call, make calls out because yeah, they got pretty messed yeah, up? Yeah. yeah, that was a really day one. So I think those sorts of things, plus iOS 11 had um, some battery battery life problems that people were unhappy about. The, the difference between iOS 11 and 12 sort of makes sense, given what you said, Mark, about there might be people just holding off to buy the 10R, and then we'll see this huge jump all of a sudden as people upgrade to new devices with 12. But, but by the same token, remember last year, the iPhone 10 was delayed. Right. So, yeah. so it, well, it, it, it may or may not, maybe it's the same effect, and iOS 11 was is lower than it might have been because of that, uh, but it's it's hard to make a definitive statement that, that that's an effect because it's it effect it's affecting both years. Yeah, and and I do wonder if you know, given that ten days isn't isn't very long, it's fewer than two weeks. I wonder, given your assessment there, that iOS twelve doesn't really have a. I mean, it has a lot of nice things, but it doesn't have like, like holy smokes, I have to have that feature. Right. I wonder if right, it will take yeah. a little bit longer to get the word of mouth of like, oh yeah, no, I upgraded and my old busted phone is better than it was before, so yeah. you should go update. You know, just people just word of mouth telling the friends and family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of an S upgrade, right? I think we talked about that um, last week, right? The whole, or I mean, in the previous weeks, that that it's it's not a it's it's a performance upgrade as opposed to new features, whiz bang, you know, gotta have it kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Can't find anything on Mixpanel's site. Hmm. Oh no, there there definitely is one on Mixpanel. Let me let me find it. Well, okay, so iOS, uh, so Mixpanel is showing more optimistic results. So that's interesting. Uh, Mixpanel has iOS 12 now at basically 45 percent of users, and iOS 11 right now at 49 percent. So iOS 12 is a, is almost at the level of iOS 11, although it appears to have leveled off a bit. Can you paste that in the show notes? Yeah. 
Now, one one thing I've I've noticed, which which uh, is kind of interesting, is at my office we have a we keep a lot of phones in iOS 11 just for testing. Yeah, sure. Uh, and Apple has just in the last couple of days gotten very aggressive about sending push notifications and and po- things popping up saying, "Hey, do you want to upgrade this phone to iOS yeah, 12?" Yeah. So maybe maybe they're feeling the uh, the lack the of users and, and are trying to push it push it a little harder. Yeah, I've got a testing device that I'm keeping on iOS 10 for compatibility purposes and i definitely have to think about it every morning when i use that thing is to not just mash in the um the code when it asks me to and say okay remind me later not install later yeah you know carol actually did, actually updated her phone by mistake she didn't know about that and she, i guess she just you know she didn't have her glasses on and she saw it asked for her password and she punched it in and the next day she woke up and her phone was on ios 12 because she normally waits for me to tell her go ahead and update because i always want to test on a device that's not you know i need to have a te- i mean on two devices between the two of us now, one on 11 and one on 12, right? So Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that I look at the data a little more closely, it's not any more optimistic. It's just a wider range. So the data in the first post, the status stub post was after 10 days, but we're now up to, let's see, uh, one, three, five, six, let's see, 17th. It's now, yeah, it's now been more than two weeks. Right. Yeah. It's, it's been about 16 days, I think, since it came out. So, so looking at this chart, at the mixed panel chart, if I go to the 10 day point, it's about exactly it's pretty much exactly the same as what status says, but uh, there's been sort of a right at that point. Interestingly enough, there was a, according to the mixed panel data, there was a turn, you know, a, an up, uptick in the in the rate. So uh, you know, kink in in the curve, in the slope of the curve, going up a little bit higher. So it's come up pretty strongly since then to forty four percent. Oh, and the flattening out I just mentioned, ignore that because I wasn't looking at it at a far a far enough out scale. I was kind of too close up. It looked flat close up, but when you zoom out a little bit, it's definitely on an upward slope. So it looks like it's going to pass iOS 11 within the next day or so. Yeah, it's sort of the median right now if I look at the results for October 3rd, right? Well, if you scroll out, so I'm looking right now at, at uh, September 5th to October 3rd. Yeah, me which too. Which is a couple of weeks before it came out and then a couple of weeks after it came out and there's definitely, if you look at around the 27th of, of September, there was this, or the 26th, there was this kink where it's the slope increased. Right. So do you, if you want to get like um, uh, adoption rates in your own apps, Mark, can if you have a mixed panel account, do you get that kind of information from them specific to you? You can get it. You can get it. So with mixed panel, uh, and this is probably true with other analytics engines as well, but it's just the one I'm, I happen to be most familiar with. Uh, every time you track an event, it stores the version of the device uh, that sent the, the event. Right. Oh, so, I see. Okay. So you can, when so when you look at your data, if you have a generic one, like, you know, app was opened or something like that, or app was foreground. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, then you, you can look at that and you can see uh, you know which which version of iOS it was done from and you can kind of get a feel from that hmm. that uh, reminds me of uh, something here that uh, I just noticed on I got a notice from Apptentive we've talked about Apptentive a number of times on the show and that's one of the the help things that I use in one of my apps is is a lets me put a sort of a support page in there and they load up a web view and they they get the user to ask you know can can ask a question of the developer kind of thing or communicate with me about a, pro- a bug or a crash or whatever um, and and it goes into like their in, in-house mail server sort of thing. And I get a notification that there's something and I can go follow up and I can actually communicate back with the, uh, with the, um, the user. And so a message would show up in the app uh, and they'd get notified that there was a response from me. Right. Um, my experience with it has been really poor because nobody, none of my <laughs> users, my, I don't know how many people I have, but nobody seems to have, have found that, that useful or followed up on it. And, you know, I've only ever gotten one uh, person in the three or four years that I've been using app 
Aptentive. But the reason why I want to mention about Aptentive is they, they you know, like a lot of companies, um, when the phone development was new, would have a free level account, right? So you'd get so many, you know, hits or so many push notifications for free or whatever. Um, Aptentive was free. And as of like next month, November, I want to say, um, they're removing the free account. So I'm, I'm going through, I had to go and, I mean, again, I wasn't getting much use out of it anyway, but I had to go and update my app. And while I was in there, I had to take out the Aptentive support as well. So those are those of you out there driving at home who are thinking about or maybe listening to past episodes about Aptentive, um, sorry, but it's going away. I mean, not the, you can still get the paid version, but so if you have, I mean, it does work really well if you want to have uh, in, in-app support and be able to communicate with your users. You can't still can't identify them, of course, but uh, at least you can have a, a conversation with them. So, and I met the the developer for, or the one of the principal developers or uh, founders, I guess, of Aptentive at 360i Dev back in the day. So, yeah. And the Jaime, you, Jaime, you and I talked to him once, didn't we? Yeah, that was when I was working at OfferUp, and we definitely had a relationship there. So, um, yeah, cool. I haven't used it for years myself just because I've not worked in anywhere that's using that, but I think they've been doing reasonably well. So, I imagine they're probably getting, you know, to the point where it's like, yeah, we kind of need to uh, go up market and make sure people are subscribing to this sort of stuff. Sort of the well, I think that's the way of things. You've seen that trend. I mean, you know, when we started the show, the trend was diving to the bottom, the race to the bottom. And I think now people are charging a reasonable amount of money for apps. And now, you know, software as a service has sort of become more of a, uh, a way of generating revenue for, for developers. And, you know, I mean, I can't fault them for, I mean, thank, thankfully they gave it to us for free to try it out initially. But, uh, you know, I can't fault them for, for having to focus on their business now that, you know, the, the market's mature and, you know, app development is becoming a commodity after a fashion, right? So, so it's a dog eat dog, dog eat dog at this point, right? Yeah, and uh, probably one of the best examples, and I have not listened to this episode, so I can't really comment on the particular episode, but I do enjoy the uh, podcast in general. That's acquired.fm. Their most recent episode has um, a discussion with somebody from Adobe, uh, at least oh, based yeah. on the headline that I saw. And Adobe is probably one of the best examples of somebody who had to change their business model and going from the um, sort of big, huge release of a here's Photoshop, you know, version Z, and it's all got all cool things, and it's 650 bucks, and you can buy it in this bundle for $1,000, to being like, well, let's have it be uh, the creative cloud and be a subscription service sort of thing and smooth out sure. their yeah. their revenue. There's there's pros and cons to that. It means that, you know, getting a legitimate copy of Photoshop for that one task you need is way cheaper than it used to be. But if you're a professional who uses it all the time, I believe it is at least a little bit more expensive than it used to be if you, you know, bought every two years or something. So there's definitely some give and take there. And I, I think the subscription side of things is it's sort of the, the wave of the future, not as a fad, but just as a, a business reality. Yeah, I think they also had a huge problem with piracy at Adobe, right? I think because it was, you know, it was relatively easy to get your hands on a corporate, like a sort of a, um, a multi-site license, you know, um, version, which are, which are pretty much unlocked, you know, because um, that, that was always, I remember I was an Adobe reseller back in the day and like rule number three of the of the agreement was you had to report piracy wherever you saw it. Um, I, I think that was another reason, another motivation. But the, the other side of it is that, yeah, I mean, every every 18 months or so or every every year you were looking at a good you know $1,700 upgrade price to get you know if you had a, if you had any of the suites of uh, software right um, you would have to pay a, a large chunk of money to, to keep up to date and I think now if you're into that if you're in that sort of creative cloud thing you're getting the whole what they used to call master suite um, you get you know audio tools and and you know uh, animation tools 
tools, and and I'm surprised they haven't really gone into app development. They have a little bit, but not a whole much. I mean, and there's all these free iOS apps, and you know they have this sort of Dropboxy kind of you know file sharing thing that they do. Um, in fact, I think uh, I think our design team at uh, the office uses. Um, I'm trying to think of what the software is, but they use a um, a prototyping software that that Adobe's come up with, and they can actually publish HTML pages with um, maybe maybe it's not from Adobe. Well, my, I think of Sketch maybe they can publish uh, like a requirement stock with like actual numbers in terms of like spacing and you know for for uh, not pixels point sizes you know spacing and stuff like that but um, you know they have those kind of those kind of tools right that uh, you get if you're in the creative cloud world right well there's Adobe XD that I've heard of that does some things kind of like what you're describing but I, I don't know because there definitely are different tools that do what you just described which tool uh, Adobe XD is a oh yeah the new one yeah sketching the and yeah. wireframing type of thing click um, yeah clickable prototypes yeah. and I have a number of, of their apps installed on my iPad that are you know were sort of different iterations I mean they kind of took the same technology or concept that they had for they had a product called Fireworks and they had a product called Flash which we all know about but Fireworks was sort of a, a web de- web development prototyping tool where you could sort of mock out um, a website and you know and and you could export it into sort of JavaScript templates and and then build a site off of it. Um, of course, they had Dreamweaver as well back then. They probably still, I mean, Dreamweaver is still part of their, their product mix, but they kind of got into the iOS world that way as well, or iOS and Android, I should say, a world in terms of creating templating tools and stuff like that. So, yeah, I haven't looked at XD. I, I looked at the beta when, when it was coming up, but I never actually took a first spin. Software as a service, man. Twitch at <laughs> or services, I guess, right? Even Apple's benefiting from services. Yeah, right? well, that's not really what they're talking about. Is not really software as a service, I would say. Yeah, I was just using it as a SaaS or whatever. Yeah, cool. Subscri- well, subscriptions anyway. Yeah, Sus- subscription for sure. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, Jaime, you got something about the? Uh, I followed it. I get get up. Yeah, this is about a five-minute video on the Wall Street Journal by Joanna Stern. It's entitled "The Apple Watch Series Four Fall Detection Tested by a Hollywood Stunt Double." It's kind of entertaining watching this stunt double like flop on the floor, slip, trip, do that sort of thing, and they show how this thing works, and they show like a little uh, like a timer. I'm like, all right, it's been a minute. You've just been standing or laying still after falling down, and then it begins a 15-second countdown before it's going to automatically dial emergency services for you. So I thought that was kind of a interesting way to go about it there are definitely people who have hmm. talked about it i don't know anybody who's seriously tried it by i don't know jumping down the stairs or something i, I would not advise that but um yeah i just thought it was a it was a neat way to see it work because they, certainly apple talked about it but i don't remember seeing it in in action just kind of knew more of the the hypothesis and theory of how it's supposed to work it's nice to see it in action cool mm-hmm. there's some other interesting videos on this uh, site too the wall street journal site you linked to um i'm seeing like the iphone tennis max reviewed by with the help from the nba's tallest player ever yeah, it's a funny picture showing her she's like two-thirds of the size of this guy <laughs> yeah 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 i oh yeah i actually have seen that video and it's interesting to see how the 10s max looks like she's holding an ipad mini in her hand yeah and then yeah. they show it in his hand it looks like a children's toy <laughs> like, yeah. like it's not very <laughs> you know people were like well you know is it like very inclusive because these things are really big it's like it's obviously not inclusive enough is that dude cannot use that phone properly. I don't care who you yeah. are. He needs a bigger phone for his bigger hands. Right. 
like an iPhone 10s mega or something. But also this article here about using your iPhone in grayscale it looks pretty cool in grayscale. You know, I wonder if that would uh, how that would affect you. I've not seen that video, but I have heard people talking about this very thing as sort of a way mm-hmm. to you know how iOS 12 came out with the uh, screen time stuff, so you could see right, how are you yeah. spending your time and sort of make that part of your your mental health and 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 lifestyle. This is another thing that people are trying to do as sort of a trick to say, all right, I can look at Facebook or Instagram or Twitter till the cows come home. But if it's not as pretty to look at because the beautiful pictures of people's food or weddings and other things are sort of just grayscale and look less enticing, apparently it makes it a little bit easier for people to let go and not spend their whole day just looking at the news feed. Cool. All right. So is there something about the fall detection thing that we've missed or it's just say go watch it? Or what? No, I would say just go watch it. It's kind of a, a fun one. Seeing somebody right. throw themselves, you know, to, to try to trigger it. And this is a professional. Again, we are not lawyers and we're certainly not <laughs> Hollywood stunt people. So don't try right. this at home. But it is fun to watch somebody who knows what they're doing and in a very safe environment with, you know, padding and everything, do that sort of thing. Sure. Well, there'll be some heavy disclaimers coming up shortly. So stay tuned for that. Um, but uh, yeah, so I heard today that that uh, our friends over at Microsoft have a new Apple. Like apparently there, I read an article today that I saw, briefly saw an article headline that said that Microsoft's offering is now looking better than Apple's. So what do you got there for us, Jaime? Yeah, I, I've, I've seen people getting all excited about this. Um, I think it's good stuff that we're about to talk about, this being a, an article by The Verge on the five biggest announcements from the Microsoft Surface event that just happened uh, in New York. Uh, I think people are going a little too crazy on this. Let's, let's see them be successful building a whole ecosystem for a while before we go out of our minds. Wait, didn't they do that for like 30 years, though? I mean, an Apple-style ecosystem where it all oh, sorry. you know it yeah. all just okay. seamlessly works, and it seamlessly works in this case because they're building their own hardware now, which they they didn't do for oh, the vast okay. majority of their oh really okay their thing cool. uh, of their history. But they, they did seem to come out with some nice stuff. So um, new Surface Pros um, all available in an all-black finish that looks rather nifty. Um, it's got better specs than before. It's got that uh, fabric keyboard cover it's that people black now yeah. do or don't like. Uh, Surface Studio Two. This is the thing I could not remember the name of but it's like a big iMac but is touch enabled so you can uh, you can pull it down sort of like a um, like an artist's desk and you can draw right on it which is kind of neat um, that's been upgraded uh, nothing hugely different there other than you know rather nice spec bumps um, probably one of the bigger announcements that came out was the surface headphones which is um, some wireless headphones that are noise canceling with built-in cortana for voice assistant needs uh, apparently mm-hmm. they have um, some sort of touch enable uh, controls on them so you can you know play pause you know track next track previous volume up that sort of thing so can i just interject here for a second like is it sure. just me like so apple came out with an ipad right and microsoft came out with a table right so apple comes out with you know touch sensitive and touch controlled earbuds earbuds they're called i think what are they called the airpods AirPods. airpods and and microsoft comes up with these big over the ear things is it just me or microsoft a little big on the sizes never Never mind. Okay, carry on. They're trying to overcompensate for something. Is that what you're saying, Tim? I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they need a Camaro. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, given the conversation we just had about subscription, that's perfect to talk about Surface All Access, which is a program that lets you for twenty four ninety nine a month over a period of two years, you can get a Surface device uh, with some sort of accessories and Office three sixty five. Oh, cool! So it's like we were just discussing all in, like all like I get the hardware and the software. Yeah, I'm not sure what accessories they're talking about here. 
And um, oh, okay. as is typically usual for this thing, it will be available first only in the United States. Yep. I apologize for people outside of the U.S., but um, this is very similar to what we just talked about with Adobe and its subscription pricing. It's kind of similar to the iPhone upgrade program where uh, people did the math here. And apparently, uh, whether you feel it's more expensive or less expensive kind of depends on what you were trying to do. If you were just looking to buy a Surface device, it's probably better to just buy it outright. But if you also wanted three uh, Office 360 it actually comes out cheaper, from my understanding, to get that service device and Office 365 over that two-year period. Mm-hmm. Two-year period with the $24.99 a month. So I, I think even you know Microsoft and everybody else is trying to get into this game too of um, making this more like rental subscription type property where you are um, not giving them a huge chunk of money one year and then nothing for two more years, but just giving them a steady drip, drip, drip of money every month. And it's probably something that's a little easier to get into as well, right? I mean, if you were uh, looking to buy a brand new device, well, you'd have to pony up the money all at once or have room on your credit card. But here, if you can scrounge up 25 bucks, you've got a device, Office 365. Right. So it's a couple of things here I want to talk about. One is that, so I, I kind of caught this, but I never really made the connection until you said it a few minutes ago, was that, so that Microsoft is in the hardware game now. Is that what you're saying? Like these aren't made by Lenovo or something like that? Yeah, they've they've sort of quietly been in the hardware game for a little bit. What, what is the Surface Pro? What's the number on it? Surface Pro 6. So this is like the right. sixth iteration. Um, they've done well, but not not iPhone and iPad well. They, they they sell nicely. And it's it's something that I think Microsoft has decided that it needed to do because, you know, we were talking about the ecosystem thing. And their ecosystem thing before was, oh, you know, we make the software, they make all the hardware, and nobody else has any real, real choice. So what does it matter? But as Apple sort of came to prominence again and, and proved out that that whole owning your hardware and software stack really does does matter and, and people will pay money for that experience. You kind of can't be at the whim of whatever uh, Hewlett Packard and Lenovo decide to do or not do. If they if they want to make it slightly cheaper on a component that's really critical, well, guess what? They're going to make it slightly cheaper every time. Right? They're not they're not enticed to make the luxury uh, or premium, I should say, premium type of, of hardware because there's not necessarily a huge ton of money for that in the PC ecosystem. And I think Microsoft wants to tap into that to have a if you go all all in on Microsoft, you're going to have an, an Apple-like experience without having to jump into the Apple ecosystem, but yet at the same time still have something that is uh, usable by more and more people. So they're trying to bring even their pricing down as well, right? But And level it out with things like subscription pricing. So how does it, so, and they had that, that whole, you know, I can't do that on my Mac kind of campaign for the last couple of years to build up their market buzz. But I mean, again, like, you know, Apple takes it on the nose about the fact that the Mac Pros aren't really like... Like, no, sorry, MacBook Pros aren't really sort of the pro thing, the pro tool. Like, you know, back in the day, we had the Mac Pro. We still have the Mac Pro, but it's never never really sort of hit the mark. Apple seems to be more on sort of consumer level, you know, office-y kind of tools. Um, and so would you consider these pros to be pro tools, like literally, or are they just uh, fancy laptops and fancy uh, iPad-y kind of things? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know spec-wise how they would match up. I would guess that a Surface Pro 6 would probably defeat the current iPad Pro. Uh, he says mm-hmm. that knowing that a new iPad Pro is about to come out, so who knows, you know, caveats right. aside. Um, if only because it's built more like a laptop that happens to have 
touch rather than being a touch device that happens to uh, do other things. Yeah, it, run, it really runs Windows, right? Yeah, and uh, that's a little bit different than like some of the previous conversation we've had in past episodes about you know what does Pro even really mean? And anecdotally, I've seen a lot of professional people, more like you know not developers and not necessarily uh, musicians and other you know uh, 3D game artists and stuff, but just really talking about people who do normal professional things um, going out and about and having that laptop slash tablet sort of combo when they're coming to fix things on my house or they're coming to do surveys for taxation purposes and all sorts of other things that sort of meet that pro sense. But I think to get to your question, hopefully what I think you're asking, Tim, is I would guess that there's probably other options. I've, I've not been in the Windows world for a long time, so I apologize. I don't know who or what, and I can't really advise on anything. But I think the problem we're stuck with in the Apple world is that whatever Apple comes out with, that's it, right? Yeah, we are still waiting kind of for the Mac this, yeah. Pro to be updated and hopefully be updated next year. But there's probably a thousand different, you know, workstation class machines you can get with Windows 10 on them. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, new gaming stuff, new VR, AR stuff uh, almost always comes out on Windows first because you do have a bazillion different manufacturers making stuff. And somebody somewhere will, will take your money for a $10,000 rig. Yeah, because that's where my next next part was going. We, we take it on the nose in the Apple with Macintosh. We've always taken it on the nose when we talk about gaming, right? Um, because, you know, you can go and you can, like, we lost Xavier to the to the, the Windows world a few a few years ago, and even his brother now who gets his hand-me-down stuff, because Xavier's out there building his own PCs. He's going out and picking on his logic board and picking on his you know, processor and his CPU and his case and whatever. Um, you know, even the keyboards that light up and that kind of stuff. So, and it's it's primarily for gaming. Like, for, is it, is it, um, is it Steam I'm thinking of, where people are mm-hmm. playing gaming, stuff like that, and they need to yeah. need the horsepower. You know, when you buy, when you buy an a Mac product these days, you don't necessarily get gaming hardware, right? Um, even with that external GPU thing they came out with last, you know, last, I guess, WWDC or last year, right? Um, so this is kind of painting um, Microsoft into a corner as well, right? Because they can't cater to the that true gamer kind of experience or the, the custom builder, whatever you call those guys, right? The modders, right? I mean, they're, I don't think they're going to attack that sort of market with something like a Surface Pro, um, but given where Microsoft is it at in the market, I don't know that they really have to because they're going to make money off of the Windows 10 license anyways off oh, of, right. yeah, yeah. Off of yep. the cheapest you know $200 um, terrible laptop that has Windows that barely runs on it to a $10,000 you know, workstation, they'll get their money anyways. So I think it's kind of more expanding the kind of markets they can get into and the kind of money they can make by building their own hardware and trying to emulate Apple's experience as best as they can, given the limitations they have. Right, right. Well, like I said in the beginning of this, my segue into this was that that seeing the the whole product line and and where it kind of is positioned, you know, they're coming. And like, even when I talked about that video last week, the accessibility video, um, AR, AI for accessibility, Microsoft put out. It's very much. It's produced very much like um, an Apple. The only thing is missing from it was Johnny Ive, right? Like in terms of its like the music and the way that the production and the direction, the directing was you know cinematography. Uh, it looked very similar to Apple, and it looks like a lot of this this uh, product line, this launch that they just did was very similar, right? So um, kind of figured out maybe where Apple's sort of, you know, um, cachet is coming from with, with its, you know, presentation. Like, you know, to see all the commercials on TV these days for the new iPhone 10, 10s and 10s Max and so on and so forth with photography and, you know, education or fitness with the watches and stuff, right? Yeah, definitely there are a lot of people trying to 
uh, ride the coattails of Apple's cachet, that's for sure. Yeah, I saw a Nike ad, actually, just as I was watching a video about There's an eight-year-old um, Japanese drummer. I don't know if you've seen her do cover of Led Zeppelin stuff. Um, like, eight years old, and she's, like, kicking kicking butt with her with her drum prowess, like, you know. Um, but she's in a Nike ad now, and a Nike ad's covering all this, you know, this female boxer and people doing yoga and swimmers playing polo and stuff like that. And it's very similar to that whole production style that we see from Apple. And, and these, you know, higher-end... We're back to the Super Bowl commercials, right? <laughs> no, mm-hmm. yeah, that's cool. We'll have to see what happens with this. I mean, like I, I did look, I tried to look at the uh, Surface Pro in person. I think I was, I can't remember if I was in Tennessee or somewhere in the states, and, and there was some homeless guy checking his email <laughs> from the Surface. We couldn't get near the near the device to try it out. So I think I did try it at Yorkdale once, though. But I, I, if I remember correctly, though, the, the I'm talking about the Surface Studio device, right? The original one was sort of underpowered. It wasn't didn't seem to have like great processor and in the in initial version yeah that, that's that's the 2016 version of the surface studio yeah. the semi imac but it's got more of a flexible hinge that you bring it down to draw on um was really probably more for i would guess illustrative type work and not oh i'm going to make obvious yeah um you know the next avengers infinity war type thing i'm not going to produce it on that surface studio right right cool all right so are we at the picorama looks like we are eh mm-hmm. so what do you have for us i mean in terms of picks mine is a post by uh, Federico Vedici over at Max Stories on a Siri shortcut that you can use to add device frames to the um, to iPhone XS and XS Max screenshots. So if you are um, somebody who wants to take a screenshot, but you want to have the uh, phone framing around that screenshot, you can just follow the link at the bottom of this post. Well, there's two of them, actually, one for doing the latest photo you took or the one I chose, which is to take the device frame for um, whatever photos I select. So I tried out. I just took a screenshot. I think it was like Twitter or something and then ran this workflow or sorry, shortcut, series shortcut, and then it adds the device frame. So that's pretty nice. You know, it's something you could toss up on. Uh, onto like a blog post somewhere and, and sort of give people that, that same sort of feel of like this is actually running on the device and with the notch and everything, which actually... Oh, you mean like the Photoshop template I made where I have the phones there and I have the cutout and paste in my own screenshot kind of thing? Yeah, for yeah. Promotional and, stuff? Yeah, and given where where Federico Vidici comes from, he is all in on the iPhone and the iPad. He avoids using his, uh, his laptop. So it, right. it kind of doesn't surprise me that he went through the effort of creating this multi step series shortcut sort of workflow style style thing that does it without him having to use Photoshop on a, a MacBook uh, as you, you talked about. Cool. Do you think he produced this whole web page on uh, his phone as well or iPad? I imagine he probably wrote the text and looking at these these screenshots, I wouldn't be surprised if he created these on his iPad and iPhone as well. Hmm. I'll post something in the Google Doc so you can see an example of, of one that I did. All right. Yeah, and like we were talking last week, you can you can actually share these uh, these shortcuts out in, on a website and people I guess you, if you come at it with your phone, you can download the shortcut, right? Yeah, it was presumably saved in, in iCloud um, and made available as a public link, just like, like mine that I shared with other folks. Yeah, you're right. It is, it is in iCloud. Mm-hmm. Cool. Neato peachy kino. All right, so my pick is a really interesting one. I, I just found out about it from uh, a buddy on the Ray Warnick team. Uh, I'm going to go with Shai Misali. Yeah, Misali. Um, and his, I forget it, Freak for PC, I think is his, is his Twitter handle. 
Um, when he posted this is from Cable, Cable Saucer, I think he's Panic, right? Uh, one of the founders of Panic. Does anybody know for sure? But um, anyway, one I of the cool so. things about Touch Bar is 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 customizability, and um, so uh, and using Touch ID is really cool. On you know when you you need to authenticate or open one pa- one password seven or whatever, you know you just hold your fingerprint down on the, the sensor and and it automatically recognizes you and authenticates you and does whatever you want it to do. But so here's what you can do with this particular. Um, it's a hack, but you, you have to go and adjust your, your settings. But um, it's using uh, the touch bar to authenticate you when you want to do sudo or a, a super user do um, commands. So anytime you're out, you know, you're in, on the command line and you want to do sudo something or other, and you, and, and you can, you know, you can just, instead of having to type in the password, you can hold your finger down on the touch bar. And I've got a screenshot I'll show you guys. But, um, and a caveat, this is where the big heavy duty caveat comes from. Um, you have to edit a file in your Etsy in Etsy in your in your uh, system so my caveat to you is what I learned from my Unix guru back you know 20 years ago was always back up the file make a copy of it you know and probably I think you used to do that back in Windows too but make a copy of it like make it like use the CP command to copy the file and, and append it with the date uh, that it was created um, if you mess something up you can always just go back and move it back with the MV command you can always move it back to uh, to overwrite your changes but but in this uh, uh, thing here, you can use VI or ed, or whatever your favorite editor. Mine happens to be Ed um, or Emacs, whatever you use. But uh, you just have to add to the top of your sudo file. So sudo file is is a, a, a list a list of commands that you can run with sudo command. Um, but at the top of it, you just put auth sufficient pam underscore tid, which I guess is touch id uh, dot so, and add that to this file. I tried it out at work today; it worked great. So um, you know we're we're even on. Uh, so you know you have to be an administrator to basically write to this file. So as long as you're in an admin account, you can go ahead and, and edit this file because you have to sudo to edit it as well. Um, but once you've done it, anytime you run a, run a sudo command, even if just a simple list like, you know, sudo, S-U-D-O space L-S, um, the touch bar will light up and it'll say, hey, touch you touch the touch ID to, to uh, sudo this command. So it's kind of cool. That's my tip for, I love, love uh, touch ID, or sorry, touch ID I love, but I also love the touch bar stuff. And, um, friend of the show or I guess friend of the show freak for PC who gave me the tip earlier today or showed us a tip um, he uh, he's not a fan of the touch bar in fact he he doesn't like it at all the touch IDs is one of the few things he uses so this was a command that you know kind of won him over to at least realize that uh, having touch ID uh, or having a touch bar is handy because you can do this kind of stuff that's cool you guys going to try it out I don't have a touch bar Mac so I can't <laughs> but I am looking to upgrade so I'll have to remember this one I'll try yeah. it out so it could be a little little bit dangerous i guess that's why the caveat right yeah yeah i mean there's something to having to remember your password as a uh a check and balance before doing something right if you if it's something that's a good point if you have to think about what your password is and type it in it makes you pause for a second and and say wait should i really be doing this yeah a little little bit easier but but still seems like an interesting thing it's definitely a cool feature oh by the way yeah so the, uh, the i guess my second pick is that i just learned today that you can do command shift six we'll take a screenshot of the touch bar. So there you go. That's why I did the screenshot. Cool, eh? Come on. Yeah, it's cool. Taking a look at this screenshot here. Oh, I thought it was all black when I had to open it up. Yeah, you got to zoom in or expand it. So this is like adding adding a command to the, basically to the terminal. Yeah. Terminal. yeah. 
Oh, handy. It's a tool tip as opposed to a shortcut, I guess. Alrighty. So I guess that's it for the week. Hey, guys. Mm-hmm. Yep. What do you think? All right. So, hey, uh, Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Mark R at snapsoft.com. All right. And Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, I'm on Twitter as at dev with the hair. Okay. And as I say every week, I'm Tim Mitra, T I M M I T R A on the Twitter machine is the best way to get a hold of me. And so until next week, hopefully there'll be an announcement coming up soon. We will talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. I went to uh, Sticks last night. Oh, yeah. How was that? That was just with the uh, Tommy Shaw and... Um... Tommy Shaw. Yeah. James Young. Uh, right. Different keyboard singer. Was it Was it Gowan? Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah. Canadian, Canada's own Gowan. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was good, but man, was it like 80s cheesy. <laughs> oh, yeah? And, well, what, what do you expect? It sticks, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Gowan yeah. is actually the most like cheesy, self-indulgent guy I've ever seen him. Yeah? Oh, really? Yeah. Even well, more he, so he, than he, Tommy uh, Shaw. Yeah, he had um he had a career in in Canada, sort of doing that kind of cheese, right? So yeah, not surprised. Yeah, I mean it, it was a good show. Um, yeah, don't get me wrong, but but man, it it, it made me remember the eighties. You know, these guys are why punk the hair. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't so much have the hair, but it was like the, you know, it was the self-indulgent, long, meaningless solos, oh, right? you know, right. where it's like, you know, look at how fast I can, I can play a lot of notes on guitar, even though the solo doesn't really go anywhere <laughs> and it's not yeah. melodic and it's sort of boring, but look how fast it is. Well, he's a, but I mean, he's a keyboard player going, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. So he was kind of the same way he did this. He did this. He did a cover of Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, really? Which could have been awesome because he did, he started off, I mean, it, He's got a good voice, yeah. But they did a, they just did a stupid thing. They they did the 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 opera part at the beginning, yeah. Then they cut out all of the um, Mama just killed a killed a man stuff. That wasn't oh, there really? at all. Yeah, he kind of huh. stopped in the middle. It was like, how was that? You know, look how awesome I am. How was that? He actually said that. How was that? Should I continue? No and and so wow. so he continues with the the very end part. Oh, uh, okay. The doesn't really matter part. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And they didn't do any of the guitar stuff. None. Zero. The guitarists were off stage for the whole thing. Wow. Well, yeah. so I got a question. Did he do a song called Strange Animal? No. No, that was his big, big hit. Like... No, they only did, uh, except for Bohemian Rhapsody, they did all sticks. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a stick show, without a doubt. 
Well, I think if if he played in Canada, he would he would do he would Canada or like Northern United, United States. He probably would do that because because he had you know some radio play in the in the eighties or I guess mm. no nineties. Yeah, yeah. That's why. Like I, I don't even know his last his first name isn't. I just know him as Gowan, right? Because that was the name of his band. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So he was uh, you know Canadian songwriter kind of thing. Yeah. Know. I mean he's he's a talented musician, no doubt. But man. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's proud of himself. <laughs> <laughs> but they all kind of are, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Like, like I said to you that, that, um, uh, was it Dennis DeYoung was the the original singer yeah. keyboardist? And right? he was the same way. So, you know, so this yeah. guy fits in well. <laughs> well, did you, did you see, have you seen him since, since he, uh, or did you see Sticks back in the day or? No, I've never seen Sticks before. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it was so, so we have this place called Casino Rama here north of Toronto and it's, it's uh, actually on an Indian reservation. Yeah. But, you know, cause casino, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, they have this little theater. And and the whole thing is they have these big names there to get you know for player development to try and get people to go up there and, and gamble right right um, and it's a I haven't been I've never actually been there but I hear it's a smallish sort of intimate theater kind of thing yeah probably about the same size as the Danforth Musical Hall just up the street from me mm-hmm. and you know you you get like I saw Joe Cocker play just before he died uh, with he opened for uh, Steve Miller but he had this you know he, like he was wearing a tuxedo and and all the band was all dressed up and this is like at a at a sort of outdoor venue downtown Toronto, mm-hmm. and um, but it was, it was all it was it was like a like almost like a, like you would expect like a, a Vegas show kind of you know all put on and yeah. you know the jokes were all you know timed and you you could just imagine they were just bantering you know just insert city name here kind of thing yeah. right sticks to that to too by the way yeah so yeah. so but that's what I mean so so what you were seeing was the the pink hair lady tour yeah. version of sticks probably right like the this is probably the same thing that they would play at the same set they would play up at Casino Rama and the same sort of shticky, you know, glitzy sort of put on, you know, let's put on a rock show for the for the you know the the, oh, the yeah. fifty and sixty somethings that have money now, right? Yep. You know? Yeah. And that's who the crowd was. Yeah, of course. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all pot bellied and you know, no, nobody had long hair anymore. It's all gray. Right. <laughs> you know, maybe there's one or two guys who still have long hair, you know, but yeah. they're the sort of Sam Malones of the crowd, right? Right. <laughs> you know? But yeah, it's it, it, it's it's I find it sometimes when I go see um you know, bands from like I like last year I went and saw um I went and saw Deep Purple, Alex or yeah. Alice Cooper and Edgar Winter on the same t- Ticket, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, and, and actually, my my nephew did the pyrotechnics for it, but. Um, yeah, it was just you know like like those are th- like that was three bucket list bands for me from from like you know, from the seventies you know yeah. and like on one ticket man you know <laughs> oh you never seen Deep Purple before no I've never seen well no and this is with um, with uh, with the new guy Steve Morris the American guy and yeah. Um, yeah. And the singer had come back because Ian Gillen yeah, yeah. had left. Yeah. He went. He left Deep Purple to go do Super, Jesus Christ Superstar on Broadway and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he's been in and out over the years. Yeah, yeah. So, but without was John back. Lord, though, and, yeah. Well, John Lord was dead, right? So right. at this point, exactly. right? so yeah, yeah. Just so, some guy on keyboards, yeah. right? <laughs> so without John Lord or Richie Blackmore, I mean, is it really Deep Purple? I don't know. No. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. So I've never seen Deep Purple then. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So no. I saw them twice. Uh, first time was on the uh, the Perfect Straight 
Rangers tour when they had that reunion back in the 80s. Oh, really? Okay. And that was actually pretty good. And then I saw them yeah. again on their next tour and it wasn't as good and never haven't seen them since. See, my 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 um Deep Purple is basically the Made in Japan album, right? Well, that's this is the same crew that I saw. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean, but together. but that particular album, I, you yeah. know, I never I, I very rarely listened to the Machine Head album and my yeah. sister had my the my woman from Tokyo. What was the name of that album? Um uh, Stormbringer, was it? No, it was it was right after um Fireball? Uh, no, no, no. Was it Fireball? No, hang on. But anyway, um yeah, so so my so I knew there was a couple of songs on there and I and you know, I remember I saw a cover band do Rat Bat Black Blue back in the day. So let me just look here deep purple. Any hell of a time downloading this um Xcode 10 on my machine for some reason. So right I updated after... to Mojave. I updated to Mojave the other day and, and I'm finding all kinds of weird things like my time machine stopped working and the okay. time machine backups. Yeah, right stuff. after Machine Head was Who Do We Think We Are? Oh yeah. That's the one. Yeah, Who Do We Think We Are? Yeah. That's the album. Yeah. And it's got sort of, um, it's got My Woman from Tokyo on it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What else is on that one? Mary Long, say? Super Trooper, Smooth Dancer, Rat Bat Blue, Place Yeah, Rat Bat Blue. Yeah. Lady. yeah, Rat Bat Blue had a really cool riff. I remember that, you know, so. Yeah, I don't think I have that one actually. Mm-hmm. But even if you just listen to it on uh, iTunes preview, you'll get the get the gist of it. Yeah, let me see what I got here. I got, I got Fireball, I got Machine Head, I got this mm-hmm. Deep Purple in Concert thing from 1980, just a live show from 1980. It's funny they were talking about uh, they were talking about that album uh, that um, Smoke on the Water on um, on that um, history of new music or history of ongoing ongoing history of mu- rock music. What mm. it was called the yeah. uh, Alan yeah. Cross show. And he was talking about the the Rolling Stones had a portable studio that ran out of a van, and that was what that the right, flip to the right. recording with a mobile that's what they're talking about right and um so it was it was the deep purple smoke on the water was the song that got put frank zappa in my head because they said you know frank zappa had the best place around right yep that put zappa in my head in terms of someone to like just sort of like planted that seed i think it was about 10 or 12 when that came out Mm. and then you know then then from and from then on i've become a huge zappa fan right but Mm -hmm. you know so so that was just a kind of a weird connection i guess you know planted in my head like when i was young and influential young and influenceable influenceable impressionable Impressionable. is what i'm looking for yep oh Jaime's there he's been quiet I didn't want to disrupt the conversation. <laughs> there we go again. We're talking about bands that he's never heard of. <laughs> no, I've never yeah. heard of, you know, Deep Purple and, and other bits. I, I won't recognize people off the street if I walk right past them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I'd probably recognize, like, Robert Plant, which is one that uh, I, I probably would recognize even before Tim put his picture from uh, Strombo's Place. Yeah. Hmm. Strombo's Place, yeah. How many, have you ever heard of a band called Sticks? <laughs> like the, the River Sticks? S-T-Y-X. Yeah, it's actually named after Sticks, yeah. Sounds familiar. I've probably seen... The do they have really from. cool album covers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of, yeah, yeah. Like cool metal covers, probably? Because it's, it's feeling like the, it's that part of my brain. I asked because most of, the, most of the youngsters I work with have never heard of them. It was very much a middle-of-the-road kind of band in the... seven, late, I guess 77, 78, somewhere yeah. in there. I mean, they started earlier, but they really got big in the late 70s. Well, it was that Laura Lai song from the album with the Burning Ice Cube. Yeah. You know? Wait, Sticks and is the one who has Mr. Mr. Roboto? Yeah. No, yeah, oh, okay. the same band. Yeah, but right. like, that's when they lost their minds, yeah. That's when we stopped listening to them. <laughs> but The Grand Illusion was probably, what, like 70s? Come Sail Away. 77? 
heaven. Did they close with Come Sail Away? They did. Yep. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's their stairway to heaven. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it has the same sort of, it's the same sort of song structure because it starts off really sort of melodic and, you know, it's uh, there's so many songs that are like that, like Stairway to Heaven where you oh, start off simple. A, and that then, was a standard 70s thing, right? Start off yeah. sort of acoustic, soft, power yeah. ballad, and then kick it in and start rocking out. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> Supertramp did the same thing over oh, yeah. and over again. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. That was the shtick. Yeah. Except it, Pardon the pun. So, except Stairway to Heaven was acoustic guitar and this was piano. That's the biggest difference. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And the only ones I never bought into that was the was the, the Grateful Dead. They just started playing and carried on. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, I was okay. watching uh I was watching um The Simpsons earlier. I don't want to normally watch them, but uh Homer did something he was in in he was some in some sort of hell or whatever and he had these headphones on and they were playing a Grateful Dead song in his head. Uh. He's gotta be listening to this for four hours and you're only on the first verse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> for those of us who never actually made it through an entire Grateful Dead, you know, song. <laughs> yeah, you know, my only like was it Truckin' and uh, and we I will survive are the only sort of two songs I could name off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> I know they have such a deep catalog, right, Mark? They do actually. They've I know they have thousands of catalog. albums. Yeah, well, yeah. They, I mean, they weren't about the albums really. The albums were usually not good. No. It was the live. Shows. It was more about the live performance. Right? Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure, for sure. Yankees just beat the A's in the wild card. Oh, is it? Is it that time of year already? Yep, yep. Yeah, the Rockies beat the Cubs yesterday. Huh. Was that the wild card or was that the, just the playoff? One day playoff. Oh, actually, don't I actually don't know. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. In the National League this year, there were two ties, so they had to have two, uh, you know, just one game uh, tiebreaker games before the wild card even started, which is and the wild cards even one one uh, one game. It was kind of an interesting thing. It's I don't think that's ever happened before. It says here, Rockies beat Cubs in wild card advance oh, to okay. division okay. series. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the Yankees will go to Boston and play the Red Sox starting on Friday. I know you guys are all on the edge of your seat. Huge baseball. Fans. Let me just tell you, <laughs> you have no idea. It was a, a sad ending you bet. for the Mariners, <laughs> given that they were division leading for some period of time and at least were in the, the wild card uh, contention for a long time. And then they just had a terrible six weeks. Yeah. Well, they're in the same division as Houston, right? So it's always going to be tough for them these days to do anything. And with the A's playing really well this year too, it was uh it was it was a tough road for the Mariners this year for sure. Yeah, the A's got hot just exactly as the Mariners got cold. Yeah. That's the worst combo you could possibly have. But the the Mariners definitely played out of their mind um, early in the season and were winning like unreasonably close games. You know. Yeah. Uh, multi um, multi inning. Uh, sorry. Um, multi extra inning games that you just really wouldn't expect to win statistically. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so did you fire up your subscription again, Jaime, for uh, CBS All Access? No, I won't be doing that until tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you get to watch it. You don't have to watch it like live. You can watch it any time, right? Isn't that the way it works? Yeah, that's true. I mean, if I really wanted to, I could wait until what, like the week before in February, that and just binge all four of the mm-hmm. episodes. Yeah, they're only twenty minutes long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then you would have nothing to talk about on Spotcast. Yeah, that, that was part of it. In case we wanted to to do a during hiatus sort of episode, special episode on those. The other thing is, I said, well, if nothing else, I have a better chance of being able to watch the Dallas Cowboys on the couple of times they play on CBS during the next couple months. Instead of having to just watch whatever the local channels show, um, so oh, that is wait a does CBS something. All Access give you that? That was my understanding when I looked at their website. It gives you out of market games. Well, I'm unclear. I don't see and, why it wouldn't. Oh, because it's very strict rules about it. 
and it they don't behave uh, as you would think is rational <laughs> with the yeah yeah no it's very 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 hard to get out of market games in fact the only the only legal way right now to get as far as I know uh, and so I don't know about the CBS All Access thing but but the only legal way right now is with with NFL Prime Ticket and on Direct mm. Direct TV and that's because they have an exclusive deal with the NFL to show out of market games so if you could get out of market games on uh, CBS uh, Direct Access I would get it mm. so yeah I'm going to look into that sold Jaime yeah. <laughs> it'll only be like two games and they might be in the same month but I'd have to take a look to see again mm. I was trying to justify I was like well what else am I getting with CBS All Access like Murphy Brown no they're showing that on Normal's channel are they okay I was, I was, was scraping the, the bottom of the barrel looking for something that was exclusive to CBS All Access oh that's on the air already uh, Murphy Brown I think it's rather soon because I've been seeing more and more commercials about it right right hmm. and Doctor Who starts this weekend oh yeah. yeah Doctor Who yeah on the 7th of October mm-hmm. which is our Thanksgiving Sunday so mm. you guys have to go to work on Monday do you, what's your, do you have a holiday on Monday or no, no? well it's Canadian Thanksgiving so we'll be thinking uh, of you yeah here since I work at a bank we have um, depending what part of the country you are it is either Columbus Day or Indigenous Peoples Day oh on the same Monday yeah mm-hmm. Monday is it days. normally a day off or no not normally a day off for anybody except for people who work in the government or in the banking and related industries. So when do you when do you celebrate Leif Erikson Day? We don't. Um, I don't even know what part of the year that is. I, I, I am aware of a Leif Erikson Day. You know who Leif Erikson is, right? Yeah, he was the... Um, I'm going to call him Viking because I can't remember what yeah. country area he came from. Uh, Explorer came to the Americas. As far as we know, is probably the earliest one that we are really sure got here. Yeah, from, from Europe anyway, yeah. Yes, because we know the... the um, Inuit and, and uh, North American aboriginals all came over, apparently on the land bridge from, uh, from Russia and Mongolia, right? Yeah, and there's a lot of suspicion that there have been multiple times that the Americas have been discovered and rediscovered. And so mm-hmm. it's really unclear precisely who would be the first. And then you get into weird things like old world versus new world. And if those distinctions matter, then you get guys like Leif Erikson and Columbus, which is weird because right. I think Columbus never actually set foot in America. I think it was in the Caribbean islands. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Well, I'd have to look no, that no, up. I think that's uh, well, uh, certainly on his, on his first trip, he only went to the Caribbean islands, but I think on, on subsequent trips, he, he did end up on the mainland, I believe. Did he? Okay. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was interesting. I saw an interview with America Fiera, who's an actress named America, clearly. Yeah. Um, and she was telling the interviewer that she was actually named not for for the United States of America, but for another America. Because as you know, the name America is, uh, travels further south, right? So she's for America. South America? Other, um, sorry? For, for South? I'm a little unclear because like, you're curious. Yeah, she like, South America say, or well, America South America is the whole continent. Yeah. Right. But I, I didn't, she, she didn't quite say what other because what else is named america south america north america and then united states of america right i'm not aware of any country that calls itself america anything except for the united states of america so it's rather confusing uh, yeah i know she just she said she was named after her um her grandmother actually so who was also named america Hmm. or her mother i think america let's look it up on the web here oh (laughs) i typed it wrong so i got misspelling of america yeah that's m-u-r-i-c-a you can drop the apostrophe the leading apostrophe if you want yeah just to make it easier to type. It's a town in Limburg in in Netherlands named America. It's a female given name. The Americas. What does this take us to? Yeah, no, 
North and South America are known as the Americas. Yeah, I guess that's that's the, just the continents. I guess I don't know. Yeah, and Central America would be in there as well. Do we know what America, what the word America means, where it comes from? Let's look it up. Well, it's a person. Amerigo Vespucci is probably Italian. A person. What's that? Amerigo Vespucci was a person. He was okay. So it says here, New Latin America, female, feminine, Latinized from form of Italian forename, forename Amerigio. Amerigo Vespucci, Amerigo. an Italian explorer. Yeah. 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 Is that what you were saying, Mark? Amerigo? Yeah, Amerigo. Huh. Did you learn that in school or you just knew that? I probably learned it in school at some point. It was a long time ago. Really? But huh. it's one of those things that it seems like I've always known it. Really? Yeah. Not on your money, so how would you know? <laughs> What's that? It's not on your money, so how would you know? In God we trust, you know? Yeah. E purbus unum. It's one from many. Mm-hmm. Is that what that is? Yeah. And is that another thing you've always known? Central well, America. I certainly haven't Central always known it, but it seems like I've always known it. Right, right. Yeah. It's like the theme from Mr. Dress Up or the song from the Friendly Giant. Now I've lost you guys, right? I don't know what you're about. <laughs> the BFG, the Big Friendly Giant? <laughs> no, just the Friendly Giant. The Friendly Giant? The Friendly Giant and Mr. Dress Up. They used to be back to back on C- on CBC in the morning. Just before Sesame Street came on the air. You guys remember that, right? Of course. Yeah. yeah. WGBH Boston. <laughs> yeah, for me it was PBS Buffalo, so WNED. Right, but it was actually made by the Boston. Oh, it was, oh yeah, right, right. W, yeah, because it yeah. says at the end of it, right? Yeah. It was made in Boston, really? Uh-huh. Is that where it's filmed today? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Huh. But when it started, it was. And really? uh, cool. so was Zoom. Do you remember Zoom? Show no. Zoom? No? Well, I may have seen it, but I don't remember it, no. Remember the electric company? Mm-hmm. That was what that had Morgan Freeman in it. So I'm looking up this friendly giant thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like a Canadian Mr. Rogers neighborhood. Uh, well, sort of. It was, a, it was like a story time kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. But apparently it has its roots in America. 1953 Madison, Wisconsin radio station. Did you know that Mr. Rogers has his roots in Canadian television? Wouldn't surprise me. It seems like people had the same idea around the same time. <laughs> yeah. I think Fred. I think he actually worked in, up here first before he did... Uh, let's have a look. Fred. There's a movie about him coming out too, right? Or yeah, with Tom Hanks. Actually. Well, no, there's, there's actually... Actually, a, a Mr. Rogers documentary it was shown at the um, at uh, TIFF Toronto International Film Festival just recently. It's actually a film about you know Fred Rogers, right? But uh, let's see, where's the Canadian connection? Let's Google it. Fred Rogers, Canadian. Oh, Canadian version. <laughs> well, you look that up. I have been watching videos about the UK because I'm going to be headed there in April to speak at mm-hmm. uh, Code Mobile UK, and it is wildly complicated on the differences, like from this one photo on the difference between uh, the British Isles, the United Kingdom, the Crown, the Crown Dependencies, British mm-hmm. Overseas Territories, and the Commonwealth Realm. Hmm. So there was a... So it says here, Fred Rogers dedicated his entire life and career to being kind. In the 1960s, he appeared in, for the first time on camera in a CBC ch- children's program called Mr. Rogers, an early prototype, Canadian prototype, for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. That's the connection. Cool. Oh, and it says a picture of him with uh, Mr. Dressup on uh, Ernie Coombs. Uh, Oh, he's one of the puppeteers on the original Mr. Rogers. What do you know? So the trolley was up here, too. You guys stole everything from us. <laughs> yeah, so the the documentary that, that uh, just came out is called Won't You Be My Neighbor? So look for that in your local Netflix coming up or theater, theater movie theater, I guess. Yeah, because it came out in June. That's why I knew it. I knew there was a Canadian connection to Mr. Rogers. There you go. That's exciting, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. All righty. Well, I think I better pack it in because it's late up here. Yeah. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk to you guys later. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye. I find the button to end the show. Where the heck is it? Here. Okay.